2: Welcome in episode 216 of the Mondora Podcast with Mike and Mike, and this episode is brought to you by Arturia. Arturia recently released an 8-channel audio interface called the AudioFuse 8 Pre. This is a high-quality but very competitively priced interface. It's USB-C, so it should work with any computer any uh, modern computer. It also has ADAT expansion, so you can cascade two of these interfaces together. If you need more than eight channels, you can do two and I'll give you 16. Um, But if you're just looking to start a home studio setup and you want to get a good, high quality, clean, transparent piece with really good quality mic pres, this is the one to get. It is the AudioFuse 8 Pre. It sells for $7.99 in the US. Uh, And it also comes with their, um, they call it the AudioFuse Creative Suite, which gives you some really nice plugins that emulate classic hardware. There's the Trident A preamp emulator. There's a 1973. There's a V76 Pre. also comes with a uh, Moog filter emulator. There's a FET 76 compression. There's a tape delay emulator. It's really, really nice. So check it out. Again, that is the AudioFuse 8 Pre. And then if you're looking to get into some other electronics, check out their Drum brute Impact uh, drum machine. I recently got one of those myself, so we will be doing a full review of this interface, and I'll probably be using the drum machine to demo some stuff as well. Go to Arturia.com, check out the AudioFuse 8 pre interface. I think you'd be impressed. All right, let's get this show rolling. Our intro beat here is from Robin, and he is a session drummer. So every time he starts a session, he has the same system for how he checks his mics. So his intro beat demonstrates how he builds up his mix from the rooms to the closed mics so let's check it out and let's get the show rolling
1: Without laughing at the
0: intro.
1: Nope. <laughs> oh goodness! The show behind the show. Here we Listen are.
3: to
2: Robin and his intro group. What a cool thing! Right. So um, you probably noticed the mix. It started out sparse. So this is Robin Stone, a great, um, great drummer from Down Under. He's an. Ex- I've heard him do some extreme metal stuff, but in this, it's more of a, you know, a mid-tempo pocket thing. So what he's doing is he's starting with his room mics, and then he mixes in the kick drum mic. The overheads, the hi-hat and ride mics, the tom mics, and finally the snare mics. So that's his approach to getting, you know, a sound check before a session. He's doing a ton of sessions down there. So I guess this is like an everyday, you know, goes through a flight, pre-flight check, which is interesting. I don't, I do the opposite, I think. I don't think I ever start with the rooms. So you start close, get your drums totally dialed, and then you
1: season to taste with the room and the overheads.
2: Yeah, probably. I I mean, yeah. I never really thought about if I have any system, but yeah, I'd probably do kick, snare, overheads and then kind of bring in whatever's important, yeah. hi-hat, toms. Rooms are last for me.
1: Yeah, I get my overhead sounding really good and then oh, that's right, I'm done.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe I'll bring in a kick mic if I'm bored. <laughs> so uh, what do but, you do? How do you Yeah. What do you do? How, how do you judge when to stop the kick drum level? So obviously with Robin, since he's doing mostly metal, the kick drum has to be really strong. So you heard when it sure. came in, that thing is punching like crazy. It's not, yeah. a, it's not a completely natural balance, but that's the mix that that style demands. So where do you stop with the bass yeah, drum? Yeah, it's mic? it's tough, right? If I if I put,
1: let's say, a D6 or a, a beta—what's the—sure, beta 52? 52A, yep. Or 52A um, or a or ad one. So If I put like a normal— uh mic on there a cardioid mic moik a cardioid mic <laughs> hey, a cardioid <laughs> mic holy hell uh it's 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 weird it almost sounds like I'm faking a bass drum sound because my drum set sounds so natural and then there's this in your face mm-hmm. kick drum sound. So right. I can't do that. So I have the same large diaphragm condenser mic in front of my kick that I have over my kit. And Honestly, I, I bring up the level until I hear it. As soon as I hear it, I stop. Mm. But if I bring it up four or five more dB than that, then it's a kick mix with some overhead mixed in. Yeah. Which so is... it's almost like I bring it up until I stop feeling it and start hearing it. And as soon as I hear it, then I'm done. So how does that change when you're recording the band? Does it change at well, all? Well, yeah, for sure. You know, that was tough. I thought I could get away with it when we did the band stuff and... I really had to go into Pro Tools and grab the tom hits mm-hmm. individually. And it, it was like, okay, this this won't work. Now, it would work just fine in a lot of different genres where you didn't have distorted guitar and loud bass. It would be yeah. fine. But in what we do, we, we knew as soon as that EP was done, it was like, okay, that's the best we can do. That's not happening again. Next time we go into the studio, it'll be all close mic'd for sure. Yeah, so. at least have the options. You could start with the overhead mix and then bring in the totally, the close and that's mics. and I would say that would be my preference. Would be okay. We do have. Let's use those close mics, the toms, the kick, and the snare to sweeten the mix of the overheads in the room, mm-hmm. instead of you know close mic. Like if 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 it's a country album. It's eighty percent close mics, and then you're just getting in enough cymbal bleed to make it sound somewhat natural. Oh, know? I gotta tell you, most of
2: the stuff that I send out for 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 artists, it's in that genre, mm-hmm. and I get the mix back. I'm like, you could have just told me like no cymbals because right. there is literally <laughs> no cymbals in this mix. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have been fine. fine. <laughs> and I,
1: I I would assume in their minds they're like, yeah, we got it just right. There's plenty <laughs> bleeding through your rack <laughs> mic. It's like, oh god, it's a. Uh, I, it's definitely something that has to be seasoned to taste. And when when I'm with the campers, that's when I'm always, I guess, perked up to listen. Like I'm listening more intently because I'm trying to show them something. And, and we'll listen to something from the 70s or maybe mm. even late 60s. And the drum set sounds so natural. And then we'll listen to something from 2019. One, none of us can tell if it is a drum set. Yeah and yep. if it is I'm like well is it even a drum set with samples put on top of it most likely mm-hmm. and it's it's just so i don't know it's it's weird it's it's synthetic and it makes me miss bands and that's yep. why i'm excited to talk about the way Danny recorded the new tool record yeah because
2: that dude does the right way. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: let's not say the right way. He does it his way, and
2: I think well, yeah. it's awesome for I mean, rock. It only took him 13 years to do it the right way, but hey, you know. Yeah, it's no big deal. <laughs> we'll get into it's that big in a minute. Yeah, no big deal. Okay, so let's
1: talk about something before we dive into this thing. You got the Brooklyn Standard delivered to you. That is the snare drum I've been working on with Gretch. We will talk about the drum itself at a later date. Uh, first of all. Since you haven't, I'm assuming you haven't really played it or anything, right? No, just took it out of the box okay. and just tapped it and make sure everything was there. The parts were all cool. attached. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll talk about the drum later. Let's talk about what that drum is going to go through. So when you, do, you ta- I'm assuming you take it home, right? It doesn't happen at the Modern Drummer offices. Yeah,
2: it goes straight to the studio. Um, usually, I start by just hitting the drum as it's shipped, but... Oh, okay. It just depends on, who, I know some companies pre-tune the drums, some detune the drums. So I, I can kind of feel, is this thing in a playable tuning or not? Gotcha. Um, just to kind of get a feel for, you know, where did the builder think it should have been tuned when they sent it or whatever. Sometimes the bottom head is a lot looser than I would end up having it. That's just like the initial, how's this thing work? How many lugs are there? <laughs> how's the throw-off yeah. function? All sure. that kind of stuff. And then I just get super nerdy and... and do the exact same tuning for every single drum just so i have like a a control like i know this is my starting point every drum that comes through they all start at this spot and then i just so it's it's if you use pitches it's a lug pitch of d over a bottom pitch of g so it's a fourth okay i try to maintain a fourth differential initially and that kind of gives me like a medium tight all-purpose, what a drummer wants to hear from a snare drum sound. That's kind of a okay. medium tight. If you think yep. snare drum, that's what it is. Is that what gotcha. ends up on a track when I'm recording? Almost never. But that's like the okay. <laughs> Sure, you're going to sit down behind a drum and you want to hit a snare drum. That's where almost all of us start. I think. Gotcha. Yeah. So then I just play it for a while. You know, at that tuning, get kind of get the sense of you know how's the dynamic range, how's the sensitivity. You know, again, how's the throw-off hold? Uh, there's the tuning hold. In this case, there's an yeah. internal muffler, so I'll just mess around with it, like how how little or how much muffling can, can it take. Right. Um, and then I take the batter head up as high as it can go. I essentially take it up to the point of choking and then back it down a quarter turn. And then I just start going super nerd, play the same exact beat, record it, detune each lug a quarter turn, play the same exact beat, record it all the way down until the lugs are barely on. Wow. And then I just kind okay, of assess. So I'm not nervous. <laughs> I'm
1: not, I know that my son can perform at his best. I'm just wondering, so that you can be as honest as possible, should we have like a guest host for the day that you review it so that you don't have to tell me what you found To be wrong with
2: the drum, Um, well, I'm excited. Rarely is there anything wrong. There's been a couple times. There's the drum that came through here recently. I obviously will not mention it because it was just a a fluke defect. The head, I guess, the coating didn't dry properly. I hit one note and the coating just started flying off like it was like confetti. So by the time the tuning test was done, there was a like a four inch clear dot in the middle of the drum. <laughs> so that stuff happens from time and time, but right. nine times out of 10, everything is is, fi- is fine. Yeah. I don't have any major issues with anything these days, which is really awesome and also kind of frustrating because number one criticism I get is all my reviews are positive. Well, send me a People crappy drum drums. then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, well, the one thing I'm actually excited for you to get to mess with on that drum is since since you're such a big Ludwig fan has Ludwig always had the circular uh, mute yes yep yeah so and it's like this a, is like a, a bar. cymbal felt yeah right and this is a bar that spans and one thing that I've I, I see as being a massive positive for my students and for for drummers that are maybe not at that pro level and spending their entire life with drums is that Mute is also a great way when you're just struggling to tune your drum and it's Mm. just a bit wonky. Having it go up and just press against the head a little will take out those overtones. So you don't actually turn it all the way on. You just get it barely touching the head. It's almost like when you put two fingers on top of the head while you're tuning to muffle some of the overtones. And I'm wondering how you'll find playing with that because obviously that bar – I think it evens out the tone better, but it also spans more of the surface
2: area. So if you're yeah. trying to play a press roll and you landed on it, you're going to yeah. feel it. And it's further right? in towards the center, right? Because I think the Ludwig is, is maybe two inches from the edge is where it kind of contacts.
1: This like one right is, where the logo
2: on the drum head would be, that's where the, yeah. the Ludwig
1: is. This one's hands. probably five inches wide, so it's as close to the edge as it can be, but it spans more surface area so it has to be out a little bit for interesting um so i'm I'm excited to see what you think about that i'm excited to see what you think about the size choice because most of the drums we end up reviewing on here are five or six and a half this is five and a half will give Mm -hmm. you enough you know volume and depth and then will it achieve what it was set out to achieve which is to give people a great starter professional snare drum like it's it's honestly supposed to be a little bit down the middle because that's Mm -hmm. The whole point is, like, let's start with this. This starts your snare drum collection. And from here, you can buy all the amazing things that are flavorful. But yeah. this is kind of just generic. My my tagline at the Gretsch meeting was kind of, this drum will never embarrass you. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal is that the producer will never have to say, did you bring anything else? This mm-hmm. will do its job. Everything will be fine. Uh, because I was truly embarrassed in my very first studio session because i brought in a 12 by 5 brass oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> dude it was 92 <laughs> what you, i mean 311 just released their first album no doubt was on the road uh, doing uh, don't speak so i but but i saved so much for that it was ascend by lp oh, they ascend yeah. brass snare drum and i saved so much for that that was the dream drum that was what Chris from far was playing and Abe from the deftones was playing mm-hmm. one and no one had endorsements and I saved and saved and saved. I bought it. I thought it was like the greatest drum ever. It was the only drum I owned because I sold everything just to get it <laughs> went into the studio and hit it once. And the producer was like, do you own anything other than that horrible
2: drum? I mean, we've, we've hit on a theme here because it's like, you know, you can't, you can't get away with an overhead in a, in a room, mic like in a real uh, quote, unquote, real scenario. and, yep. I just did a master class at Peabody Institute on drum tuning and, and, you know, how to choose drums. It was for audio engineering students who weren't drummers. Okay. And the number one complaint that every single one of them said when they were recording drummers was the snare drum always sounds like crap. And I'm like, Mm. I'm going to tell you right now why. Because they're tuning it for feel and they're tuning it for rebound, which means it's guaranteed it's too tight. Like way too tight. Yep which makes perfect sense. I mean, that's, I mean, I've even, like I said, when I, when I tune a drum to D over G, that's what the drummer in me wants. But I know as soon as I put a microphone on it, it's going to sound right. small and compressed and it's Correct. not going to yeah. be the right sound.
1: Choked. Well, and I think, you know, looking back now, I could take that same, with my current knowledge, I could take that same 12 by 5 brass into a studio, detuned one piece of gel, and the guy would be like, what drum is that? Yeah. We need six of those here. Yep. It yeah. was just that I thought, well, it can only be a Timbali with snares on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they would think like, oh, it's got to be a 15 by nine. be Like, no, it's a 12 by five brass. That drum actually was amazing. By the way, oh, my God, I, I just have to say this because we never go full disclosure. So I'm in the <laughs> I'm in the Gretsch meeting and, uh, you know, D.W. is the distributor now for Gretsch uh, L.P., obviously pdp dw and ovation guitars Mm -hmm. so this thing in in one meeting it was an hour and a half we're covering dw pdp Gretsch and lp so i i gave this story obviously i'm talking about like i don't want this drum to embarrass anyone ever i told them what happened with my 12 literally the lp rep holds up the drum he's like we still make it I was like, I was like, no, no, no. The drum is amazing. My tuning skills were the problem. It wasn't the drum. Your drum is amazing. He's like, if anyone needs to order this,
2: it's awesome. Well, the next time, you know, grab it, detune it, throw a gel on it, and like, totally. this is what it was. What been? The drum was not the problem. So, anyways, <laughs> I'm not
1: scared. I'm telling you, I'm excited. Uh, it, it's crazy seeing it show up. At, I mean, people are getting it. It wasn't supposed to be out till Nam.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but so. that's not
1: the way handmade drums work. Like, they crank them out one at a... T- this isn't isn't this is being made in the U.S. by Paul Cooper at the Gretsch factory. So, yeah. he's like... Uh, he literally... He kind of told them at the big meeting with all the dealers. He's like, I just want to let you guys know. I think I could get, like, 20 of them out by next year. <laughs> and everybody was like, yeah, we need, like, 20 per shop. But it's like, but you think about it, it's like, it's a dude in South Carolina making drums. And he's like... Uh, yeah, yeah. And, I and mean, from what I heard from Gretsch they're getting massive orders put in and it's like dude we don't (laughs) that's fine for an overseas thing but Mm. we can't crank out 500 snare drums of one skew while doing our normal orders
2: yeah Yeah, the quality will have to be sacrificed yeah that's that's the problem yeah and so i think everyone just
1: just know that it's going to be an amazing Christmas gift. I just can't say it's going to be a 2019 <laughs> Christmas gift. Uh, but anyways, it is oh. cool to see it. see some of our students getting their drums, and uh, I'm excited to see what you think of it. All right, so uh,
2: you have a little note here about PASIC. What's going on at PASIC? We are just talking about that it's coming up? Yeah, it's coming up, and, and if anyone listening is going to be there, I think it's um, November – it's like the Thursday, November 15th or something like that. Let me go at my calendar here. November – yeah 14 15 16 i'll be there okay. um it looks like probably on the 14th i'll be hanging out at the dream booth along with scott Pellegrom. maybe doing some giveaways so maybe Woo. come up to the booth and say you're a podcast listener and maybe they'll hand you a gift like they did a couple <laughs> <of> years ago <laughs> oh that's so many babies <laughs> love it no it'll happen so that's you know just uh hit me up on the uh podcast Facebook page or social media, let me know you're going to be there because I don't want to miss that chance to meet anyone. I know last year when I performed, I feel like I didn't get to see anyone and that that kind of sucked. So (laughs) I want to be
1: available to hang with everyone. Awesome, man. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, Well, I look forward to getting the reports back from PASIC. It is something near and dear to my heart. I mean, just a, a giant thing of education. I wish it was something I could attend this year, but my schedule will not allow it. I will be I think I'm at that point, like two days away from flying off to Singapore. So, oh, yeah. Got clinics and master classes coming up in Singapore. All right. Now, before we bore anybody with the rest of our lives, <laughs> let's talk about something that got a decent amount of comments on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so, I put up a video. This will be our educational segment because it's something we can dive into it's something mike and i have actually gone through on this podcast and mike was helping me as i was making my way into the world of vintage drums and i put up a video just i was all i was doing was swapping heads camp season's over my heads my drums are done being dented mm-hmm. so i was doing the normal all right i'm going to go around all my 12 swap the top heads going to go around all of my 14 swap the heads and as i was doing that i put up a picture of the two finishes that are my two main finishes that i have here white marine pearl and a, and a vintage Blue Sparkle. The White Marine Pearl is a 2019 USA Custom. The Blue Sparkle is a mid-60s Jasper shell. It would be called a USA Custom. It's a six-ply shell, one ply of maple, four plies of gum, and one ply of maple. So they didn't have the name USA Custom mm-hmm. at the time. They All those drums were just named after their sizes. So it's a progressive jazz size. But it would have been a USA Custom. I put up those two finishes and said, what's your favorite finish? Well, That in itself triggered this thing. A a lot of people said Dawson would put the white marine pearl on the blue kick. (laughs) So I literally did that because I was like, you know what? I haven't heard a modern Tom on my vintage kit. I'm only going to swap out the Tom. And since I'm using a snare stand now for my Tom, it was easy enough. I did that and I was like, whoa. I wonder if people, if I use the TuneBot, would anyone be able to hear the difference? More importantly, can I hear the difference? Mm-hmm. So that's what I posted on Instagram.
2: You saw it, right? I did. I saw the teaser, and then I saw the actual post. I watched it once, but I didn't watch it twice because I didn't want to get biased on knowing the order of which drum was which. Expecting that we would probably talk about it <laughs> the,
1: yeah. this We have to. I mean, we have to. So just so you guys know, uh, here's the... The Dawson side of things, the nerd side of things, is it is the same drum, although they are definitely different uh, height dimensions for sure. Really? They're both 12 by 8s, but I don't know if it's just that the the way that the die cast sits on top of the vintage drum, but the vintage drum is absolutely taller. Taller? I I didn't do shell by shell. I'm just telling you, when I'm swapping video frames, I can see it. It's definitely like an eighth of an inch taller. What, or, the hoops are just yeah. bigger. Could be that. Uh, like I said, I didn't – because I didn't even notice it until I'd already swapped heads. But they're both 12 by 8 toms, 8 by 12 toms, uh, and then <laughs> they both have the exact same heads top and bottom. So they both have Aquarian's single-ply head, which is just called the single-ply texture coated, on top and bottom. And they were both tuned to 270 at the tension rod. Uh, so, I use the TuneBot, and every tension rod, top and bottom, is tuned exactly the same
2: on all both drums. Okay. Well, I so, think we should listen to it before we even speculate. Okay. Good luck, bro. <laughs>
1: things come to mind okay the tombot the tombot is the shiz
0: <laughs> okay
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah anything did its job anything who poo-poos that just hasn't really used it i get it you should be able to man up or woman up and tune your <laughs> drums properly without any tools totally but if you want to get scientific that thing rocks that thing totally
1: rocks uh, two talk about consistency in product Right that would not have happened if I tuned bought a Thomas Star to that exact same tuning versus a Gretch, or because I just saw that happen with d w mm-hmm. um now the tone would have been the same, everything but there there would have been something different i I was shocked at how consistent it was, but I will say this: you're right. we talked about this before. the placebo effect is real. I actually could totally hear the difference while watching it. I don't hear any different i couldn't because what happens, what you guys don't know is in the video, unless you've seen the video, it goes. Vintage, it goes like vintage, modern, vintage, modern. And then once you're used to that, then I stick on one of the drums for a two bar phrase instead mm-hmm. of a one bar phrase or like a yeah. four bar
2: phrase. Instead. And then, and I never heard that switch happen. No, I mean, there were a couple of times when I was watching the video where I closed my eyes, that's probably mo- that's probably the modern. I look up, like, yep, I was right, cool, I'm smart. And then I'm like, eh, that sounds like the vintage. I look up, nope, that's the modern drum. So wow. I know 100% I'm guessing, therefore I can't tell. If anything, I felt like there was if, – if you said, what's the difference in this file, I would say you might have adjusted the high-end EQ a little bit at certain spots. That was it. I felt like it was maybe a tiny right. bit of error, but that could have just been dynamics, the way you're hitting it. Yeah, I, I can tell you from doing it um,
1: – so the way uh, to, to, like I said, give you guys the nerd side of things, so what I did was I just – pressed record in adobe audition and let it roll and i did a full take of the vintage drum with a metronome going doom 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 dang 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 jigga boom improvise and i did that like five or six times then without pressing the space bar i just swapped out the tom i did the exact same thing with the modern drum and then i came in and i was filming the whole time and then i exported the audio file as one big file, mm-hmm. sync that up to the entire video. And then I started chopping it up. So the audio is all one mix. Um, and then, yeah, all I heard was there was a tiny bit more attack and, and clarity in the modern drum, which I'm not even hearing now, but now that we're, we're listening looking at it because it's right. a brighter, cleaner looking drum. Yes, I totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree. And, and they are both, uh, all four heads are brand new. So, here's my thought. Whatever differences there are would be swallowed by guitars
2: the second you yeah. started playing. I mean, yeah, we obsess over the minutiae, but you blindfold 100 people and and have them just hit those two drums or listen to them from 10 feet away from the kit. Right. No one's going to be 100% certain. No one. Now,
1: here's the question I have for you. I have a question and a statement. My question is, do you think that that is a product of the fact that I crank those toms because I feel possibly. like I can't tell the difference between a Catalina and a USA Custom at jazz tunings. Yeah, possibly. If I went fluffy and thuddy, I feel like we might hear a little bit more
2: difference. Um, or maybe a, medium tuning. Yeah, it's worth maybe a, a follow-up. I would I would guess that the vintage drum would just sound deader because the wood yes. is drier. I would right. guess. But again, you'd have to fool have me. You'd have to try it.
1: <laughs> you know? Now... The comment is: I can tell you guys right now, you would hear a massive. Ah, God, I don't even want to say it, but I feel like you would hear a massive difference if I did that exact same test with two snare drums of those same eras. Yeah, but it's. But I don't know if it's the shell. I think it's the snare wires. It's the throw off because when I listen to like my the the Slingerland that you helped Amber buy for me, mm-hmm. I don't feel like. And it's like this total ragtime sound, mm-hmm. but it's because the snares are like fourteen strands. Yeah, yeah. they're and they, they, they they're, it's the way the bed was cut. I mean, they just go kick, kick kick. That's it. But I don't feel like that's how that drum sounds. I feel like I feel like that's how the the entire thing with the me- the mechanisms that are on it. I feel like that's what it sounds like. Yeah, know? I bet if you
2: got that drum like recut. With, you know, maybe a sharper edge and a deeper right. bed and then put wide snare modern, strain on it. I yeah. mean, it would just sound like a, a three-ply
1: drum. By yeah, but I think point. if you went out and right now bought a vintage kit, you would tell yourself, man, this is warm. <laughs> but if you bought a vintage snare and a modern snare because of the way the snares were made at the time, not the shell, but the way that – the everything else was put on it, I feel like you actually would hear a huge difference. I can totally tell the difference between my 60s USA custom snare and a modern one for sure. Yeah. I can't tell as much difference with a 1920s metal Ludwig snare and a brand new uh, Ludwig Black Beauty. Mm. Um, because, the, I mean, like I said, and I still think that if I put on modern snare wires and modern throw, it would be very similar. It's metal. It's not yeah. going to age the way wood does. Um, yeah. So, I yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, did... <laughs> Did oh, I waste weird. a lot of money? <laughs> That's a so oh, very no, expensive drum.
2: You, you got two very beautiful, <laughs> yes. but also very consistent <laughs> drums. Yeah, but one <laughs>
1: is part of my endorsement. The other is like a fight with the wife. <laughs> the other was, uh, oh, by the way, huge thanks to Hawthorne Drum Shop in Pittsburgh, right? <laughs> yes. They're
2: in God Pennsylvania, sakes. right? They're in Pittsburgh, for God's sakes, yes. Yes. See,
1: I know that now. Uh, so they're the ones that got me the blue sparkle. So...
2: Yeah. Now, but here's, right. It was definitely interesting. So that's the science. Now let's talk about the art. When you play the white kit versus when you play the blue kit or when you play a Catalina kit, right? which one makes you feel most
1: inspired? It's not even close. Like, first of all, I can feel the difference in those kits because that happens to me all the time. I get to specific countries to do a festival And I always tell them in my writer, size is more important than line. Mm -hmm. Get me a Catalina in my sizes rather than a Broadcaster 24, 13, 19. I don't want that. Um, I need to be comfortable. So I can totally tell when I sit down and play it, there's a difference. So even if I get it tuned, completely dialed, and everyone says, your kit sounded amazing tonight, I can feel the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it is there. I will say this, on that 12-inch Tom, the biggest difference was the feel Mm. the, 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 the vintage one. Now this, I don't think this is placebo, but I'm telling you the vintage (laughs) one was a softer, more playable drum. And the modern one was a little bit, um, it was almost like the head was tighter on the modern drum. That's how it felt. Interesting. Um, more bite or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a little bit different, but I could definitely tell a difference in the feel. Um,
2: And so, yeah, it's just something to think about. That's that's why I like vintage drums, and I've said this many times because I don't care about. I mean, the sound is important, but what does it make? You're going to get the sound. What does it make me do emotionally? And there is a there's a feel, there's a touch, there's a softness that you know. Because he figured that drum, that white drum of yours, maybe got hit a hundred times before you got it, maybe. That right, blue one most. has probably been hit 100,000 times. So the, In you know, smoky the, clubs. Yeah, the drum has just been, the molecules have been manipulated in a, just a, yes. in a way. And I think with symbols, that's really super noticeable. Like I have brand new symbols that I know 10 years from now I'm going to love. And right now I'm like, eh, they're not quite there yet. Like they just yeah. need to be played, broken yeah. in. And that was the
1: biggest discrepancy between me and my uh, rep uh, in Germany for Meinl when we made the transition ride. When he shipped mm. me the first production model, I was like, "This isn't right." And he's like, "Dude, I'm telling you, you've hit yours a billion times. Right? <laughs> this is what yours sounded like when I shipped it to you two years ago when yeah. we started prototyping these things." Uh, yeah. So i I will say this: there's something. I don't know if it's just through endorsements, and maybe you go through this because you see so many drums, and you don't have to you don't have to pay to test your drums. The companies send them to you, mm-hmm. and you test them, and you send them back. There is a jadedness of like, cool, it's another drum set. I get it. I know this is like someone's dream kit, but I can't get over the fact that this is now available to me. Mm -hmm. There's something with that blue kit where I was online every night going through Reverb, going through everyone's site, trying to find it. it. Yeah, And I found it. And then I paid for it with money (laughs) that I made from clinics, and it hurt. (laughs) Like It was... It hurt, and so, <laughs> so when people said, "Oh my gosh, white marine pearl every day, all day," I was like, "Damn you, my yeah. blue sparkle is my baby." And then yeah. I'm going, like, they're just telling me what their favorite color is, but I'm still taking it personally because I finally have an emotional connection to a very specific drum set, you know. And you know, it's funny that white marine pearl kit. Most people, we talked about it two weeks ago. No one's ever really seen it because it was made. <sighs> for this, for the Brooklyn Standard Snare Drum shoot right. that's coming up in December. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm not playing it. Well, that happened... That kit got started being made a year and a half ago. So mm-hmm. it was before I had my vintage kit. Well, even uh, Andrew at Gretsch was like, dude, I know we made you that kit, but that Blue Sparkle is kind of your signature kit now. You, it is, you, yeah. If you're going to bring a kit to the studio, you kind of have to bring that one. Yeah. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> so like oh man that's so yeah so it's kind of nice to have a drum set i've always wanted that They're like that's my kit I, you know you and i get to see at nam every year you go to the ludwig booth and they'll say this is franklin vanderbilt's kit mm-hmm. and you recognize it or this is this was jack DeJanet's kit yeah. or whatever whoever it is and i always thought what if gretch said this is mike johnston's kit what no one would know
2: like <laughs> i don't have a kit I finally feel like I have a kid. Yeah, that blue one. Yeah, I think it is. It's funny because I don't even remember what you had before. Because you, were, no, you had that brown one. You were super stoked uh, yep. about the brown one. Yep. But yeah, I think and the blue one is you. Well, that's that. So All right. The white right thanks one's so much. Going to um, <laughs> a very New very lucky person.
1: <laughs> oh, I gave away a Brooklyn Standard the other night. I what? gave away my prototype. Yeah. Oh, Why? dog. What's wrong? with So, you? okay, we have to get to Danny Carey, but quickly. <laughs> We did this thing, so it was the last camp of the year, and I was in that, you've known me for a while, you know how I get in those green tea zones where I'm just not fully coherent, <laughs> and I'm just flying high. So I was in one of those zones, it's the last camp of the year, I'm so bummed that I'm not going to get to do this on a weekly basis you know, for another six months. So I'm taking advantage of everything. So we do our nightly sheds, campers go out on the stage, and they play a song the other campers are in the control room with me. And so we started this game where I would like sneak down below the computer where the drummer couldn't see me and say, okay, if in this next song the drummer plays a single flam, I will give him a minor groove bell. But the drummer doesn't know anything about this. So we're listening for three minutes, and it's 80s night, by the way. So they're doing Wang Chung. Mm. Great job, Bob Terry. They're doing a little uh, everybody Wang Chung tonight, and all they have to do is one flam and they get a free cowbell, but they don't know that. So every time they get close to a flam, we lose our stuff and lose our minds. Like, oh, we almost did it. But they don't know what's going on. So anyways, by the middle of the night, I'm sorry, like the the end of the night, the last guy's up there. I sink down. He can't see me. I go, if he does a five-stroke roll during Billie Jean, he gets uh, a Brooklyn Standard prototype drum in a finish that didn't become the actual finish. So it's like a, a matte mahogany. And dude, he's three and a half minutes deep and he's gotten so close to it a few times he just won't commit to the five. He doesn't know that he's supposed to do it, obviously. And then he just drops a and it like we almost knocked the building over. It was like he won the Super Bowl. we lift him up on our shoulders, we're knocking mics over, we're knocking cameras over. and and then it hit me. I was like, oh crap, I have to give it. there's one of one of these drums in the whole world. Uh, so yeah, cleaned it up for him, put it in a nice head armor case. And uh, he, hey. got, he got that. So. Yeah, I was give, I was like, everything must go. <laughs> get rid of everything. <laughs> the white kit's yeah. yeah. never going to so get the white used. Kit, yeah, the white <laughs> kit might make the cut. So, all right. <laughs> Let's dive into uh, one of the <clears throat> most influential drummers of the past probably 40 years. As a drum instructor, I can tell you that this man's name gets probably brought up more than anybody else as far as people asking me, can you teach me this and mm. the drummer I'm speaking of is the great Danny Carey from the band tool. And I think right away, if you don't know Danny's playing, I can tell you that no matter what genre you're into, you'll love it. It's what we love about drums. You get to hear from eight eight inch Tom down to 18 inch Tom and you get to hear kick right in your face and the clarity of his drumming
2: some weird it's electronics. Just yeah, there's all kinds of I mean his current kit he's got uh, how many mandala pads? Six mandala pads on his kit which are crazy electronic pads where you everywhere you hit on the pad it triggers a different midi note and all kinds of different midi parameters so you can Yeah, I mean do all kinds r- of stuff. Rarely do you need more than one. <laughs> right. He's got six of them. I think it's six, um, maybe it's more. Seven. He's yeah. got seven of them. And I, a wave think- drum.
1: And the wave drum thing will come up later when we uh, get into their new album. But definitely, if you guys... I'm sure most of you are familiar with Danny Carey. But if you're not, it you know, if you're a fan of Tool, that's fantastic. If you're not, you can still definitely get into Danny Carey's drumming. So, first album, which one was that? Uh, was that the 10,000... 000... First album was, well, it was an EP, Opiate. Okay, that's it's, right. Yep. Yeah, Undertow was the first full length. Undertow. So, I got the opiate EP at a Lollapalooza show. Mm, yeah. And, and yeah, that was 94, like, 94, right.
2: I think was the year. That, yeah.
1: That, 93, 94. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Cause I was, a, I was a senior in high school and that was when it was a gift from the gods uh, <laughs> yeah. in the grunge era. I didn't have much to attach myself to as far as who's the baddest dude on the block. Mm-hmm. For me, it was Tim Alexander at the time. Cause that was the most complicated drumming that mm-hmm. we were hearing in that grunge world. Then I got the opiate DP and then undertow came out and immediately I could, as a rock drummer, go back to my jazz buddies and be like, boom, what now? <laughs> <laughs> that's all. It's all of matters in high school is, is my favorite drummer as good as your favorite drummer. Cause, yeah. uh, that's all we can do is compete with that. So <laughs> thank you, Danny, for settling some serious arguments at Del Campo high,
2: Fair Oaks, California, oh, 1994. Man. So my, uh, I saw. I went to that La Plaza tour. I think it was '94. So the opening band was Rage Against the Machine. Yep. The exactly. second band was Tool. Yep. Two of which I had never heard of before. I'd seen the Sober video once on MTV, 120 minutes or something. The creepy yep. little doll with the the meat tubes and all that weird stuff. Yep. So I knew Tool sort of. I had never heard one note of Rage Against the Machine before. No one had before they hit the stage. Like literally. Right whoa what is this so and I they annihilated the stage yeah they annihilated everyone and pretty much we were like okay we should probably go home now and I think at that yeah. year Primus was the headliner I think okay or at least they were somewhere on the bill I'm trying to remember yeah um, so you know we saw Rage and I was like okay that was the greatest thing I've ever heard and then Tool comes out and it's 110 degrees outside and Maynard is wearing a flannel like onesie <laughs> you know like the <laughs> yeah. creepiest thing ever and then everyone said the same thing Maynard was staring me right in the eyes, like everyone I talked to, like he was literally staring right at me. Like no, he was staring at me. No, he was staring at me, dude. But then you've got Danny back there with this insane kit. It was just such those two bands. So I went with my best bud Matt. So we both, you know, we were like (laughs) I went with Matt too. Yeah, Matt Franks. (laughs) Yep, awesome. So we, you know, we were teenagers. We didn't have any money, so we went to the the tape store, Waxy Maxie's. He had ten bucks. I had ten bucks. So one, oh of Rage tapes, Rage one, one of us had to buy the Rage tape. One of had to buy. Oh my <laughs> god! We it was just exactly trade the same it every week. We went to Dimple Records. <laughs> we got our tapes.
1: Put it in my in my tape player. Drove my nineteen seventy nine white VW Rabbit with neon blue <laughs> interior and wore the hell out of Rage
2: and Tool back to back. Absolutely, man. Yeah, we would just trade. I ended up getting Rage first, and then he got Tool first, and it was it was. Perfect, because I was kind of more into groovy funk, and he was into more kind of progressive music. Yeah. But we would just trade, like, every week. And those two records, I think, of that entire era for me, still stand the test of time. Like, oh, totally. Undertow and the first Rage record, I can still put them on and be like, yeah, that sounds that sounds current, and I'm still into it. So 25
1: years later, right. Tool comes out with a new album <laughs> right. and does not give in to the pressure. They are... N- we're back to nine minute songs. Yep. We're back to amazing what is probably considered in today's modern rock and modern pop era overplayed drumming, but it's not, it's not when it's in tool. It's, it's <clears throat> very much. So it's weird how Danny's able to make prog drumming accessible to the masses.
2: Yeah. I think that's kind of the secret for me. Like rush is a thing. And it, I always kind of always had to have a little bit, like for me, Rush and Weckl are a thing that I have to tell my friends, okay, you're not going to love the music, right. but just listen to the musicianship. Where with right. Tool, I think it's because you've got Maynard, who's just a high art, insane front man. Yep. And you've got a, a guitarist and a bassist who have really good aesthetics that's tied to classic rock and everything else that it never goes full nerd, <laughs> you know? Like, right. They're, yeah. just, they're just super cool. And I think that's the magic. So Danny's able to just create these insane parts that that you could just put into a rush song or something. But at the yeah, same time, the the band just sounds so cool and so scary and, and magical. And I it's weird. I I wish I could
1: have a 17-year-old buddy here, drummer buddy, to listen to the new album, Fear Inoculum, with me so that I could find out, okay, do I think this is amazing because I've been a tool fan for almost three decades mm. or is this just amazing? Cause well, I would listen to it all morning. Today. I mean, it was, it was a, uh, it was awesome because <laughs> how often do you get to have a blast from the past while listening to a brand new album?
2: Yeah. And it's different. Yeah. It's not, it's I mean, different. It's no, I mean, I wasn't like,
1: different. I wasn't wishing for old tool. I wasn't thinking, Oh, they just copied themselves. I just thought, wow, this is amazing. Uh, so, I hope you guys will check out Fear Inoculum. Now let's talk about the recording process that Danny went through. Recorded drums in a real live room to two-inch reel-to-reel tape. Yep. Stud. Done. And you know, so let's talk about time- the snare drum review. Oh, <laughs> we're gonna, I, I think that's it. We're done. Let's move on. That's amazing. Thank you.
2: Yeah. And I, and I, and I totally appreciate the fact that he doesn't sound perfect. Yeah, it, there's moments where you're like, man, he his body might be wearing out in this section of the song. Like he's he's pushing yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah. Like his feet, oh, yep. they're not perfectly precise, quantized. Double-text. Yeah, but that's well, not the point. and you also hear the
1: room. I mean, yeah. I, when he's going from like an eight inch tom, or I, I can't, I'm not looking at his kit right now. I don't know if he's got. Is it in the article? Um, well, his oh, live, we I
2: think his live kit is is mostly f- rototoms or something. I'm not even sure.
1: So he doesn't have an eight, though, when he's going around the kit, I can hear the distance of the room like, oh, that drums further away from mm. the room mic than this one is. And you can hear that. And it's it's absolutely amazing, man. I was just blown away by the album. Uh, and I, I love that. It's kind of cool to hear those guitars and that bass in like modern recording, modern juiced sounds like i enjoy it you know it's still their tones and everything but it doesn't sound dated it doesn't sound like these are
2: b-sides from an album in cut in the 90s it doesn't and i think it the fact that that mater did his vocals at the end i don't know if that's the way they've always worked i think it really allowed the rhythm section to just compose really cool pieces or it doesn't yeah. it's not like verse chorus verse, chorus solo out it's there's it's just an evolving thing. And it's maybe a little bit more subtle for a tool, which I think is cool to hear. Right. You, you can tell Danny's more into sound design these days and certain parts of it, which is really awesome. Hence the seven mandala pads on his kit. Well, I think um in the article he talks
1: about how in uh it was the it's the second track on the new album, how at some point he's riding on one of the on actually the is the wave drum pad but he's yeah. using it like the the tabla preset on it yeah
2: he's got but he's just kind of riding on the, it, like yeah. it's his ride symbol yeah he puts and, the wave drum where where a low ride symbol would be
1: awesome and it's a really cool part but then it's this weird tabla sample mm-hmm. against his left hand i'm assuming playing just one of the rims of the drum and so there's this super organic sound versus this synthetic organic sound
2: and i was just I was really impressed by it. Yeah, so maybe we should drop in a little bit of the opening track.
1: Absolutely incredible. Now, even though I want to make sure we stay in the future as much as possible or the present as much as possible with Danny because he is doing this stuff now, I I have to mention Eulogy by Tool only because as a drum instructor, (laughs) it was the separator. If you can't teach this to your students, which also, by the way, teachers, if you can teach it, you better be able to play it. So you have to play it first, then you can teach it. Uh, It's not enough to transcribe it, give it to your students, and run out of the room with fear. So uh, when it came to eulogy at the 6 minute 35 mark, you had to be able to play that beat. That's what every student wanted to learn. And then you had to think as an instructor, okay, you're 15 years away, student A, from being able to play this. How am I going to reverse engineer this groove so that I can build you up to it in the next Mm. six months. Um, Because transcribing it won't be enough. Let's
2: listen to the original and then maybe you tell us how you teach this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me tell you a little bit about my experience with it first. This is a perfect example of something that I intellectually, as soon as I hear it, I know what's going on. Like, I get okay. it. It's a three-note grouping. The high hats open every third one, and he's playing a 4-4 yep. four, four beat underneath. Cool, I got it. The moment I go to play it, I get like a bar and a half in. I'm like, cool, cool. And I get to that weird spot where yeah. where does the open note actually land right. falls apart. I don't think I ever mastered it because I never had the patience to be like, oh, let me just write it out and figure it out. But sure. I don't think I ever, met And it's always that there's like a gray area where like, maybe it's on the E or something and the bass drum is counter it. Man, I, I think that the intro groove for next week should be you playing this groove. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. I could do a simplified version of, it. and the fact that the phrasing—it's not like they said, okay, we have to make sure that the groove resolves perfectly every time. He just has no, to no, and of it force doesn't. It. He just he, stops, yeah, he yeah just or stops. He, yeah, he
1: rounds it off at the phrase. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, man, right off the bat, same thing as you. I thought like, okay, this isn't that bad, and then I realize on the intellectual side, okay. His hi hat is in three, four. So we've got this one E, a two, and a three EN. One E, a two, and a three EN. So we've got that. Um, And okay, cool. So now let's put that against two and four on the snare. Right. Well, now we've got a problem. One E, a two, and a three EN. Four E, a one, and a two EN. Three E, a four, and a one EN. Two E, a three, and a four EN. One. Sweet. Takes us three bars to get back to the one. (laughs) The kick part is the biscuit. Yes. Yeah. I can get the kids to play with their hands. Uh, I usually tell them. Let's just—I just walk over to the clutch and lock that down. I'm like, you're not opening that. Don't <laughs> <laughs> stop it. You have no shot doing that. Uh, so it's like, let's just get the the rhythm down of the one e a two and a three e and four e a one and a two e and three e a four and a one e and two e a three and a four e and one. If we get that, then kick goes on one and three. Mm-hmm. The problem is, Danny goes doo, doo ga. Yeah, that uh. D-duh, d-duh, kha, d-duh. That uh, the uh of two. One, E, two, uh. Biscuits, buttercups, and blueberry pies. That'll shut you down. That that honestly right there kicks you straight to Blind Melon. Like, screw it. I'm a Blind Melon fan. 1994, screw this, I'm a Blind Melon fan. You go buy fan. a
2: cajon and some hot rods and you're, you're good done.
1: to go. <laughs> you're done. You have no shot playing that. So yeah, that, but, okay, I think... The biggest lesson here is what you and i personally got out of this i can play yeah. this vibe all day long now because of this song <clears throat> yeah i can hear three over i four. do it on the bell yep. exactly i do it on the bell all the time now yeah yeah that's a classic and this one. introduced me to it
2: yeah it think, was uh, really cool i think i'm going to take you up on that challenge i'm going to create my own version of this beat for next week okay <laughs> yeah that would be some great Instagram. Like, I would love to see you and your
1: electronics and all that stuff. Get in on it. All right, everybody, please check out Danny Carey. Uh, I don't even need to tell you. Just type in his name and you'll find a trillion things. But check out the new Tool album, Fear Inoculum. It is incredible. And like I said, if, if, you, haven't, if you don't have that prog man to attach yourself to and you want something that's new... I know we all love Animals as Leaders, we all love Periphery, but that stuff can be a little bit dense just to listen to. This Mm -hmm. is fun to listen to, but it also feeds your drum nerd side
2: as well. Indeed. So it's time to thank our sponsor, uh, Arturia. And we've mentioned it before, but if you're looking to start a studio, a home studio, uh, you might want to consider starting with their AudioFuse 8 Pre-Dual Mode Audio Interface. This has eight, uh, what do they call it, eight... um, discrete pre's what do they call these things either way it comes with eight mic pre's uh eight line outs has an eight out expander so if you want to link up two of these together and you have 16 channels you can do that um it comes with seven seven their really cool plugins which are like mic pre emulators um, this thing is a beast i used this when i was in london um, for the demo for them and the engineer thought it was broken because there was zero noise coming from the interface itself. Really? Yeah, it was, it was completely silent when, when there was no sound, when you weren't playing anything. But so, you had all the mics plugged into it. Yeah, everything was on. Everything was leveled up. He was like, something's not, the speakers aren't working or something. right." But it was just so silent. So it's that's a really high cool. quality piece, and it is only 799 if you're in the U.S., and that's the list price. You could probably find it for a little bit cheaper that's hard to beat if you consider you're getting uh, you know a mic pre for under 100 bucks each i mean just google wow. neve mic pre's and compare what the price is for that <laughs> or dm me and i'll tell you exactly
1: how much it costs it sucks. so
2: check it out is the audiofuse 8 pre audio interface
1: by arturia all right well i think uh, because we're so excited about the stuff we talked about this might be our longest episode ever because we're just now getting to the candy. Um, good gosh am I to Joe Friday. All right, so let's talk about some
2: snare drums. All right, so we are we hinted at this for a while because the you know uh, Black Swamp Dynamics sponsored the episode, I believe, last week or a couple weeks ago. So the Medallion Brass Snare Drums under the Dynamics line is what we're reviewing. They sent us a 5x14 and a 6x14. These are one-millimeter rolled uh, brass shells. They have a center bead, um, and they have, um, what else do they got? Deeper snare beds than, than most. 20-strand um, nice. of their own uh, wires, triple flange 2.3-millimeter hoops, their own throw-off, which works really great, really classy, um, and arch their arch tube lugs, which are really slick and also keep the hardware off of the shell they sent one that has a torched finish so it's like oh. a it's oh. a black Patina. nickel yeah black nickel that's been patinaed and then they also sent one that the owner of black Swamp hand engraved himself with this bow tie etching which is super cool that's the six and a half now i've
1: said on this podcast because of the somewhat signature drum coming out this year i i really just can't check out many snare drums what if, if you just have too many of the 5x14 torch <laughs> patina, I get it. My campers that won't be here for another six months would love to check this out right now. Mm. God, I lo- I'm a sucker for 5x14, excuse me. Uh, yeah, 5 by 14 with some patina on it. Oh, that is my jam. God, it's a good looking drum. So All right, we're going to listen to these things?
2: Yeah, let's check out the 5 first. So that is just the first tuning, which is what I talked about earlier in the episode. That's the D over G, medium tight, where I start every drum. Um, And I felt like that drum loved it there. Oh, my god, It was exploding. There is no microphone on the snare drum itself. It's one overhead and one bass drum mic.
1: That is the sound that I think in my head when I think of the 5x14 Black Beauty. Mm -hmm. Or a a nickel over. Like, that's the sound, but, you know... It seems to me that sometimes certain drums can almost be like a fender P bass like you have to get a good one of them right right you know it's like yeah it does it if you get the one that does it um, this drum like that was exactly what I want out of a 5x 14 brass drum yeah. that is that's the, that's it right there.
2: It smacks and I was I was hitting rim shots pretty hard and that that gave me exactly I mean I would take that to a studio just like that and say i don't care if you like dead snare sounds we're using this one (laughs) like it just has so much vibe to it that thing's
1: awesome and do you do you know if the price that's featured in the magazine is that the list price yes it is that's a list price. so we're probably looking closer to like the the mid fives on that because the list is 780
2: oh no i have to correct correction that's the map
1: okay okay so that's what i was going to say like i'm just going to just buy two of them today um so 780 for a high-end professional brass snare drum with a custom finish that's pretty badass
2: yeah now the big boy six and a half um everything's the same except the shell is you know inch and a half deeper and the shell is etched rather than torched and i think the tuning is exactly the same and what we're going to listen to all right let's check it out
1: I'm not laughing at you, but I'm totally laughing at you. You so have a snare demo groove. (laughs) It's always kick followed by two ghost notes followed by a kick on the uh. And the only reason I'm laughing is because it's totally my demo groove. It's like everyone's demo groove. It's like, the NAM right. groove. Let's just call it's it the, the NAM, Nam groove. groove. <laughs> yeah. Because what it is is I can do whatever I want. Yeah. It's your anchor. Ah, oh, love it. So
2: cool.
0: So, uh, that drum sounds amazing.
2: Yeah. Now, I think, yeah, it's just a bigger sound. I think it's just a bigger sounding, more tone version of what we heard before. Man, I almost feel like it almost even comes down to the looks. That's a
1: beautiful drum. The other drum is a is a nasty funky drum, and um, I, I think I'd probably go six and a half if I was playing out a lot and I needed, you know, especially when you play out a lot, but it's local. You know which clubs in your local area don't have a PA or their Mm -hmm. PA can barely handle vocals to get on top of the band. So that drum would be awesome because you can always play it quieter, but it's nice to have that extra volume ceiling. But for my personal use, the five is just I mean it's the that is like the Hey Gretsch, are you cool if I just go make a metal drum with another company real quick? (laughs) That's what I would come up with. (laughs) By the way, they're not they're not cool at all.
3: The very short answer
2: is uh, no, you can send that white marine pearl back immediately.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) and uh, come collect all your belongings and take that. But But it it is free to buy anything you want. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I can buy this drum. All right. So where can they find this stuff? Um, they're,
2: they're in most dealers. I mean, Black Swamp, if if you're not familiar, is really highly regarded in the symphonic world and the marching world. So their dealer network is is pretty vast. Um, awesome. The Dynamics is their drum set-oriented snare drum line. So okay. They're going to be at PAS as well. So these two drums, I believe the exact ones that I reviewed, will be in their booth. Um, they're pretty special. Now, this also kind of busts up a little bit of a myth of seamless is always better than rolled. I don't... Mm. I don't agree when these things just sound this good yeah i mean maybe if they did a seamless one i could i could a b what is their seamless sound next to the rolled but i
1: think we would be
2: right in smack dab
1: into the 12 inch vintage versus 12 inch model right like, exactly yeah i can totally hear it as long as you show it to me yeah
2: yeah i didn't even yeah. like flip the shell over to see oh is this rolled or not until the very end i'm like these sound amazing this has to be seamless and it's not it's welded it's a rolled show so All good right. good stuff so that's the Medallion Brass Snare line. Check that out. It's from
1: Dynamics Percussion, and they are amazing. Well, sorry, Dynamics line from Black Swamp.
2: Yeah, and oh, by the way, the full range, full demo with me actually talking like an idiot to the camera is on ModernDrummer.com. If you want to hear this, these drums, tune really high, medium, low, all the way from top to bottom. All right, now it's time to get to some listener questions.
1: So want to start with the audio one first? Yeah, we got an audio question from, who's it from? Simon.
3: Simon. Hey guys, this is Simon from Copenhagen, Denmark. Uh, I play the old-time of superstars. I have a 12x8 and a 14x12. And I feel the floor tom comes up a bit short when doing gigs without microphones on the toms. Um, I like the amount of tone it has and I like the focus it has, but I would like a floor tom that goes deeper and is louder. I've tried the 16-inch before um, and I feel it's... bit too big and gets a little too rumbly for me. So I started looking at 15s. I found a 15 by 11 for $220 and a 15 by 14 for $350. Um, And I never tried a a 15 before, so so I really want to get this right. Um, Is the 15 by 11 going to do anything for me that my 14 by 12 doesn't already do? Um should I splash out and get the fifteen by fourteen, even though it's a bit it's a bit overpriced to me. Um what should I do? Thanks for a great podcast and greetings from Denmark. You need the deeper one. Right? Yes, 100%, 100%. 100%. It, the other I one's a rack. 15, top. Yeah, the other one's a rack. You'd get
1: less out yeah. of it, even though you're getting one inch more in diameter. Uh so yeah, I think you have to go fifteen by fourteen, that'll <laughs> give you everything you want. The only thing I would say is before you do this, because you're – he said he's in Copenhagen, right? Yeah, yeah. So just make sure that you can get heads mm. quick and, and and stock up. Just get like three tops, three bottoms, because 15-inch heads are just somewhat hard to get sometimes. All the companies make them. It's just that your local store probably doesn't carry them. So. Yeah,
2: So yeah. uh, But, yeah, 15 by 14, you'd be set. Done deal. Yeah, that's, that's a common problem that I have where – The 14 is just, it just craps out on the gig. It sounds great at home and in the studio. We go to the gig and it's just, it just craps out. Not enough. And the 16 is maybe just too big of a drum. 15, I'm becoming more and more of a fan of a 15. So, yeah, yeah, get get the deeper one though. Boom. All right, let's do a couple paper, old fashioned analog questions. (laughs) This one is from John. Currently, for live gigs, I'm only using a Shure SM57 on the snare and toms, and a Shure Beta 52 on the kick. Do I do I need overheads for the small clubs that we play? I have a pair of MXL pencil condensers that I like to that I'd like to add for outdoor gigs, but any wind gets easily picked up, and we end up not using them. Yeah. Um, we've had no complaints that the Hyatt and ride simple isn't being heard, but you and I seem to prefer starting with overhead condensers and then bringing in the dynamic mics to fill in the sound am i going about this backwards no you're talking about gigging we're talking about being in
1: a room all by ourselves with no elements whatsoever dead silent room we're also generally not playing with anyone else we're only recording drums no i I, i've never been in a in a small gig situation where i was like could they crank the ride a bit
2: yeah more hi-hats yeah Yeah. never like that's the most no no, i think you're set yeah i think if If you do need a little bit of detail, sometimes I do like a little bit of symbol detail, you might want to consider under – instead of overheads, underheads. Like place them under the ride symbol, under the crash. Let me ask you this. In that situation, would you go
1: with – would you still go with a condenser or would you go with more of a just a regular old cardioid, like
2: an SM57? I would probably try condensers because if okay. you get them under the cymbals, you don't have to crank the gain as much. Make sure you have a sure. windscreen on them. But I've had that same problem with you have overheads over the kit. I play a golf course every 4th of July, and it's always windy because it's an open field, and inevitably right. we just have this low rumble. Like, what the hell is going on? So you also need a, a, you know, a, a high-pass filter on those suckers. Right. But, yeah, I wouldn't add them for small clubs. Outdoors, there you, go. you might need some detail, but just – Try bringing them under the cymbals. See what that does. Great. Um, Okay, this is uh, one more. We've got this one from Dallas. Uh, I know this is an age-old topic and depends on height, leg length, etc. So specific specific numbers can never be given, but what I'm getting at is a generic question based on what I'm seeing. Drummers of yesteryear, Buddy Rich and other big band drummers, as well as Ringo, seem to sit higher, and drummers of today seem to be sitting lower. So... Is there a health reason for sitting too high is the ultimate question.
1: Okay. So first of all, I think it might honestly, even though it sounds like you're a very experienced drummer and you're gigging and touring and doing the thing, I think it just might be a small sample size because I have not seen that. And judging from being with my campers all the time, the one thing when they come in, I tell them right away, no moving the gear. You cannot move my drum set. I want you to become a professional drummer. And part of being a pro drummer is sit down and play it as it lies. Mm-hmm. However, I have a hydraulic throne. We are all different heights. Please adjust the throne to whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I would say on average they all sit uh, an inch or two taller than I do, and I actually sit kind of high. Mm. So I don't notice a trend that people – and these – so now we're talking about drummers from all over the world. When I sit down at other pros kits, it's definitely a mixed bag. Sometimes I'm shocked at how low the drummer sits, and these are you know some of our heroes, and then sometimes I'm shocked at how high they sit but i also am not their height so it's it's high and low for me and my legs for me my my thighs are not completely parallel i would say they're just above like the the angle between my thigh and my and my shin bone is a little bit more obtuse if you will than a 90 degree angle mm-hmm. but not a lot i'm definitely not on a bar stool uh you know Bare, with straight legs and I'm definitely not with my knees in my chest. So it's just somewhere in between. But for me, it's always just been a, a matter of comfort and where's balance. the power coming from? Yeah, yeah. Balance. Where's the power coming from? And I need to always be in a position that if I was playing a, this is my test. If I was playing a Samba with my Samba, ostinato with my feet, does my torso move one ounce? If it does, I'm sitting incorrectly. Mm. I should be fully balanced on my tailbone to use both feet independently and not be swaying back and forth as I'm going from leaning from one side of my body to the other for the balance.
2: Yeah, that's a good test. I mean… um I guess I tend to sit a little bit higher than most, but it's always changing. And like when I sit on Carter's kit, he sits a little bit lower than me, and it feels a hundred percent comfortable. So I'm always reevaluating. Sure. Uh, by the way, Brandon Green did do an article series for Modern Drummer that's called Drumset Ergonomics, and part two is on seat height. And as I was Fantastic. editing and working on that piece with him, he kind of opened my eyes to the idea of it's really about how what's your range of motion in your hips. It's really your height has little to do with it. Like. Really? What is your range of motion in your hips? Because if you're maxing out, you're you're going to be buckling your lower back, and everything's going to be compromised. So it becomes more about what is your actual biomechanics of how your skeleton works and your muscular system. So check that article out. Drumset ergonomics. You can search on the website. Part two, seat height. That really helped me kind of get over this myth of well, I'm taller than most. I got to be an inch. So I have to sit taller. Yeah, not true not true Not true. all
1: right well thank you guys for sending in your questions please send in more we love the audio questions that is mdinfo at moderndrummer.com you guys can ask anything and please especially for those of you that are somewhat new to this to this instrument never feel embarrassed about whatever your question is all of your questions are questions that mike and i had ourselves when we were exactly where you are so bring it on we're happy to help in any way we can But now it is time for Picks of the Week, and my pick of the week is coming at you hard. I am never going to – yeah, easy there, Dawson. (laughs) Clean it up, Kathy. I am never going to live without these again. I just have to find them. There we go. Uh, The only issue I could find with the Brooklyn Standard – so this is something to everyone that's going to buy one of these drums. The only issue I could find is when you're cranking it down – I think there's a problem with the, uh, the washers on the tension rods being steel and the counter hoop being steel as well, mm. and they grind. And yeah. I feel like when you have smooth tuning, even at yeah. the highest tension, that to me is a signal of an expensive drum. Yeah, I don't know why. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. just go like, oh, buttery tuning. <laughs> yeah. So the Hendrix drums tension rod sleeves. Oh, those yeah. nylon sleeves. Yeah. I I do not. I'm not endorsed by them. I bought them on Amazon. I got like a thousand of them for ten dollars. <laughs> I am never are lap- they I think, Are they? You can get them in black. I got the clear ones. Okay. Or maybe white, or, but they're somewhat opaque. Um, I don't want to live without those ever again. Um, I I love them. I put them on all my toms and cranking my snare to full three eleven level. It feels like it's almost like. You're it's just butter. That. You're not getting that like...
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> like Should I
1: keep going? Because in our heads, it's like, oh, I'm messing something up inside the actual lug. Okay. It's really just the grinding of the washer against the... It's like <laughs> metal against like metal. So, yeah, these l- little things, they actually have... They're not just washers. They also have a sleeve that goes uh, down the tension rod just a little bit. Mm. And so it goes through the counter hoop. Yeah. Uh, so it protects against that. And... I put it, like I said, as soon as I put it on my snare, I was like, okay, I wish I could go back. I wish Gretsch could do a deal with Hendrix percussion and put these on the drum because it makes you feel like the drum is more expensive than it is just because of how smooth it tunes. Well, there you go. You charge 50 more bucks for it. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, you get a thousand of them for $10. And we're going to up the cost of the, <laughs> of the drum by 50. Uh, so yeah, so check it out. I got it on Amazon. Um, it's weird. It, I don't know who titled it, but I see it as Hendrix Drums Percussion Holder. That's a horrible title. These are tension rod sleeves. Um, So, yeah, just check it out. Hendrix Drums. Look for it on Amazon. You get a bag of, uh, let's see. So you can get a 50-pack for $11. Mm. That's rad. Um, And... It, the tuning is more accurate when it's that smooth because you don't over tune by just trying to grip it mm-hmm. at tighter tunings. Where now, I mean, I can go like a sixteenth of a turn perfectly smooth on every lug. Um, and when you're dealing with the TuneBot, that's actually important. Yeah, I wonder if how they hold up for like holding tuning—is it designed to do that as well? Yeah. So it says. Um, well, it says produces smoother and more accurate tuning. I guess I'll just have to find out. It's always that tension rod right by your inner thigh. Yeah, right. That's the one that's going to come out. <laughs> so uh, it's good. Good call. I've had them on now for. I've had them on through the whole camp and it didn't detune. So, but cool. I'll I'll keep you guys posted on it. But I, I'm really loving those. So uh, you can get fifty. You can do your whole kit pretty much for ten bucks.
2: So the Hendrix drums percussion holder. Horrible Sweet. name. All right. I'm sure that it has a different name, but you can, I'm sure you can yes. find it for what for that. So my pick of the week is a YouTube channel that um I've been subscribed to and I I keep forgetting to check out the new updates. So it is the sessions panel and they just posted an interview. Uh Don Familar is the host of all of these. It's kind of a cnn style or a sixty minute style sit down with with yeah. artists. Uh, they just posted one with Jack DeJanette that's incredible. And then I was digging through, and they recently posted one with Will Calhoun. So those two in particular, just their personal stories and just to kind of hear their philosophies straight from you know first-person account, it's really inspiring. Jack is my all-time favorite, so I, anytime I get to hear him talk, it's inspiring. But Will was my original influence. So then also That's hearing kind of cool. his backstory about – Growing up in the Bronx, and Steve Jordan lived down the street, and, and it was like... Really? Uh, yeah, just some crazies. Wow. And the fact that... I'm spoiling it, but he didn't start drumming until he was like 16 or something. Don't want to hear it? He wanted to be a motocross racer. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. me and Me and Brother Will would have got along just fine. So just check it out. It's the Sessions panel. If you don't subscribe already, there's tons of stuff. It's not just drummers. He's, he's sitting down with all kinds of artists. So I think their goal is to document top artists while they're at the peak... You know, to have all this stuff documented, telling their story, their background, their philosophies. So this is—they're awesome. each like forty minutes long. Really good stuff. No drumming. That'd be one thing I wish that they just would insert two minutes of drumming. But right. um, I'm happy with it. So Will on in particular, Jack Dijonette, the Sessions Panel YouTube page. Check it out. Awesome. All right,
1: and everybody, I did a little more digging. They're called the Hendrix Drums Sleeved Washers. You can get there them in go. white or black. The Hendrix drum sleeve washers. Throw those on your kit if you're having any grinding in your tuning and you will be set. Everyone, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. We
2: appreciate it. Please head over to iTunes and give us a five star review. Five-star we star rating. We could use some reviews, please. Not that my okay. ego needs it, but we need it to help keep the keep the podcast rolling. So if you don't mind typing up you hate us, you love it, whatever, just do that on iTunes for us. We appreciate it. Yep, just the you love us part. That's what he was talking about. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
1: All right, everybody. We will see you guys next week. Mr. Dawson, have a I'm going to go film some videos. All right, have fun. Later, brah.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.